Welcome to Geared for Growth. Today we're chatting to Lee McConnon, who's the Managing Director at Buyers Advocate Australia. He's a Melbourne property specialist, and we have a chat to him about his high-flying career as a financial services guy and why he decided to move into property. He gives us some great background into his portfolio where he successfully purchased a couple of pubs because he liked a beer himself. And we have a chat to him about the A-grade investments and what goes into an A-grade investment that he selects for his clients. It's a great interview with Lee and I'm sure you're going to get something out of it. Here's Lee. Lee McConnon, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure, mate. It's a bit overdue too, I have to say, but I'm glad to finally have you cornered. Um, <laughs> for, for anyone that hasn't uh, come across you before, Lee, can you let us know who you are and what you specialise in? Yeah, sure. So uh, I own a buyer's advocate business. It's located in Hawthorne. Uh, business has been operating since 1992, so we've been one of the first buyers advocate businesses in Australia. So um, we currently have, I think, four buyers advocates, including myself, and we have three in property management. And we specialise in residential homes and investments, primarily within 20 kilometres of the CBD, whether it's north, south, east or west. Beautiful. And we're going to dive into the nuances of, of that. But to give us a bit of a background on Lee, the man, what posters were given prime real estate on the bedroom wall growing up? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question, that one. It would uh, would have been Bo Derek, Star Wars and Kiss posters, which is uh, pr- probably giving my age away there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You wouldn't even what know about- who Derek was, would you, Mike? No, he's probably a little bit be- before my time. <laughs> well, to see if any listeners are uh, uh, familiar with the film 10, they'd know who Bo Derek was. But uh, anyway, I'll let you go on. <laughs> now, what about property, Lee? What, how did you get started in property and what was the first investment? Um, well, look, my first purchase was my home in Ashburton, but um, which I bought in my 20s, and the first investment was a, a pub shortly uh, thereafter, which is a, a, an interesting investment to go for. But uh, I enjoyed a drink when I was younger. I still enjoy a, a drink, so it was a logical first investment. Um, and I got started by engaging the founder of Buyers Advocates, so the one that started the business in 1992, um, engaged him to find me a good investment property and ended up buying a pub and that was my first foray. You make it sort of sound like it is an obvious thing. I enjoy a drink so I bought a pub. I mean, I enjoy, you know, an overseas flight but I'm not about to buy an airline. It is a little bit unusual, I've got to say. What was – I mean, p- pubs are – a ridiculously expensive asset at the moment. They seem to sort of have little pockets of of time where they come become really in vogue, and then the price seems to double. Yeah. Were you really just sort of a heavy hitter straight out of the gates uh, purchasing a pub? No, I don't. I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, going back sort of 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, buying a, a pub was a good in investment. I mean, I, it wasn't the leasehold I was interested in, it was the freehold. And um, you know, back then, you know, particularly regional pubs, I didn't start with a, uh, you know, a pub in the, in the city, but a lot of the regional pubs were, you know, were flying, um, you know, in the 2000s. And, um, 
you know, they gave a pretty high return as a freehold investor. Typically, regional locations would get a return around sort of, you know, 10%, um, wow. which was pretty good. So from a cash flow perspective, they're very strong. Most of the underlying businesses were, were very strong and they had a, a good future. But that, that's changed now. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to buy those sort of investments and get those returns and also uh, do it in a way that's not high risk because uh, a lot of those pubs now are under a, you know, a lot of pressure. Um, and I'm not talking about COVID-19, that's an exceptional case. But prior to all of that, I, I think that um, you know, a lot of those businesses were, were struggling. So I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that would be uh, what you'd be investing in today. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool though, you know. Like, come around for a for a drink. Uh, this is a nice place. Oh yeah, it's mine. Um, uh, well, <laughs> it, go, it goes further than that, that Mike. So I, I bought one, and then I bought two, and then I bought three. But um, the funny thing or funny story is, uh, on, on, on the birth of my first child, I, I came into the uh, to the hospital and said to my wife, "I've, I've just bought a pub for our new arrival." She wasn't overly impressed, but uh, <laughs> but I thought it was what a, a way to wet idea. the baby's head. Not bad, is it? But, uh, <laughs> but 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 anyway, that's in a previous life. I don't have them anymore. Right now, let's go back to your previous life, and it sounds like you've sort of had a few of them. It's been an interesting career to to sort of do some cursory research on, but it it doesn't tend to follow any linear plan, which which we'll dive into. But what did you want to do when you were finishing up school? Um, well, I, I, I didn't really have a, a, a clear sort of picture. So I studied economics at university, um, but I wasn't certain how I was going to use it. Um, I just wanted to be the best I possibly could, whatever that was. So I was probably more focused in financial services, um, just purely because that's where a lot of my friends were were going and, and what they were looking at doing. But I, I, I can't say I, I started off with a particularly clear vision when I was younger, which is probably typical of a lot of people when they're fairly young. Yeah, I can relate to that. And and you grew up as a youngster in, in Tassie, is that right? That's that's right. And what was that like growing up in, in Tasmania? Fantastic. Um, love Tassie. People are great. Lots of places to see. Cascade Draft was very tasty. Um, mm, yes. It was um, it was a good place to to grow grow up in. Um, so yeah, loved loved living there. They love a beer down in Tasmania, and I think whiskey's sort of become a real booming industry there as well. So, recommend not, not, any, anyone. Yeah, I'm not so much of a whiskey drinker, so you're, you're probably talking to the wrong person there. But uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly love, love a cold beer. So, after after graduating at university, wh- what was your first job? Where did you go to? Yeah, so after I graduated, I applied for a couple of jobs, but I, I landed at National Mutual, um, which was uh, insurance and financial services, and uh, I had a variety of roles there from sort of customer service to marketing to sales, um, you name it. So, uh, And I had a, a very good career with National Mutual, which was bought by AXA, um, yep. which was a, a fairly large international player. 
Um, so, you know, move from Tasmania to Queensland to Melbourne to Asia, uh, all with that uh, with that company, and held a number of different positions. So it was uh, it was exciting times. Yeah, it sounds like. I mean, that was a massive business. I was just about to ask what happened to them, but obviously they got a bit of a rebrand there. So you, you obviously with your economics background and and a, a very um, distinguished career in financial services. Can you tell? Is there anything that sort of helped you in your future career as a property investment guru? Um. Well, firstly, it's probably worthwhile just giving a, a quick little background how I ended up in the property industry because it, it property has always been something I've been interested in. So, um, you know, I read a lot of bit books, did a lot of research, and it was something that, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed dabbling in and, uh, and that interest just grew and grew and grew as time sort of uh, went on. But um, in terms of, you know, the skills that I was able to develop in my you know, corporate sort of life that were transferable to what I'm doing now in, in property. Um, I had some fairly senior uh, positions with the company that required pretty good communication and negotiation skills. Um, also, you know, built a number of teams and that's important as far as this business is concerned. Um, so not just me as a buyer's advocate, but obviously being able to build a you know, a, a, a team with you know, a great number of people. So, um, so I think you know there was a number of things that uh, I was able to take from my corporate life and apply it uh, successfully to, uh, to to my property journey. I think you're being a bit humble too. I mean, you were negotiating, you know, business acquisitions, negotiating with foreign foreign governments for licensing and all that sort of stuff. So. It was, um, it was pretty full on, I imagine. It, uh, it, it was at times. I mean, I, I had a lot of very good uh, opportunities and I managed to get in on the ground in, um, uh, in Asia in that um, National Mutual slash AXA were establishing a regional office in Hong Kong um, to really support a number of businesses throughout uh, Asia. And uh, I went there initially as a... A regional head of distribution or sales, but um, then moved on to sort of different roles and ended up in Malaysia as the as the the, the CEO, which was uh, all a lot of fun. Right. Well, drinks are certainly on you next time we catch up. That's for sure. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know about that, Mike. We we haven't right. explored your background, but uh, we we all have some interesting things in our uh, in our lives. Man, I'm a little freckly kid from Yeron Creek. There's no, there's no money in the in the Mortlock coffers. I can tell well, you that I think, much. I think we started this with uh, my Tasmanian background, so I, I think it's you know, fairly fairly small beginnings. I, I, I don't see myself as the high flyer you're trying to portray me of there. But uh, but anyway, let's go on. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep going. We'll let the audience decide. Now. Um, going back to your high flying, I mean, your first investment was a pub. I mean, obviously, that's that's uh, speaker one for the affirmative. Getting stuck in right there, you um, you picked up the pace pretty quickly. Obviously, you mentioned you you got a couple of pubs. You engaged the founder of the the business that you're the managing director of. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your property investing journey? Uh, yeah, look, my my focus early days was really to build. A portfolio of cash flow positive properties, 
ten percent will do that like a it, champion, it, won't it? it, it look, it, it, it will. Although interest rates are a lot higher, of course, than what right? They are of today, course, but um, but look, the, and and the cash flow sort of strategy was was fairly deliberate in that I wanted to build enough passive income to give me for, uh, choices into the future. So, um, you know, in order to walk away from what I'd built or the career that I'd built at, uh, at, at AXA National Mutual, it was important that, you know, I was able to build an income outside of uh, uh, outside of that. So, so that's why I bought a number of commercial properties um, and once I had sufficient cap capital, I was so, so efficient, so sufficient cash flow, I was able to leave the corporate world and, and follow my calling in, in property. But uh, but looking back, I, th I think I would have achieved more if I also had uh, an, uh, more residential property. As without doubt, I think it's a capital growth, this property type that that you know, can really set you up um, because with commercial, um, you, know, you get good sort of cash flow, but as far as the... Uh, the capital growth is concerned. Generally speaking, it's not as uh, as high as residential. Uh, that's not yeah. always the case, but uh, quite often it is. So, and I, I believe that you know you must invest first and foremost for capital growth, and that's what's going to build significant wealth. But everyone's circumstances are different, so it's important to understand you know, your vision in life and how you plan to to, to get there. But uh, we we certainly, or I certainly, focus more on the residential side now. Yeah, and you and you reference your sort of calling as being in property rather than financial services, but I'm guessing that the the cash flow was required to sort of jump into that because um, I, I assume that at least in the first couple of weeks it's a bit of a, a step down, sort of salary wise, to to make that career change, right? Yeah, it was a it was a pretty uh, a pretty big step down, and it was you know, a very humbling experience when. Uh, uh, I came back from Malaysia to Australia and found myself in uh, uh, doing the agent representative uh, course with a, a, a number of you know, young 20-year-olds who thought they were going to make a million dollars in the first 12 months as a sales agent or whatever they were going to do. But uh, um, that was a, an interesting experience and, and, look, it probably took, I mean, it takes a, a year or two to really establish the, the, the business so there wasn't um, you know, a huge cash flow at that time so it certainly helped that um, you know that I had uh, built up a, a reasonable portfolio that you know, en enabled me to fund all of that I love it the, f the sort of the freedom to be able to choose to do what you want and and chase after your passion Absolutely. before we before we dive back into property uh, there's there's something that's sort of challenging your your high-flying uh, persona and that's this little schism that I've come across that you were the 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 um, the director of the kangaroo Island wilderness re retreat there's a story there and I and I want to pick it apart yeah um there is a story there. Um, basically, when I came into the business in two thousand six, two thousand and seven. Um, so, just as a bit of background, as I mentioned before, there was um, uh, someone who started the business in nineteen ninety two, um, and when I joined the business, I basically bought fifty percent of the business, and then a few years later, I, I bought uh, the remaining fifty percent. So. Um, so I'm the, uh, the owner at the moment, but basically when I joined the business, um, most of the investments that were being done were commercial um, and 
we're also putting together a number of syndicates, say, whereby we would know, pull a group of people together um, and increase their purchasing power to, to buy uh, a better quality investment. And um, anyway, we came across this Kangaroo Island Wilderness Retreat and basically looked at buying the leasehold, well, buying the business and the, uh, and the freehold. And the idea was that uh, we'd syndicate the, the, the freehold and basically find a, uh, an owner of, uh, the, uh, for the leasehold. Well, we managed to put together a, a syndicate for the freehold, um, but obtaining or finding someone for the leasehold was a little bit more problematic as it was a, a, a regional sort of location and, and um, you know, it was a fair way away from a, a number of, uh, you know, from, uh, in, in terms of <laughs> shops and cafes and all the rest of it. It was quite remote. Um, yeah, so it's an island, right? It, it an is. island, an <laughs> island off Adelaide, which um, it, it, if anyone's not is. familiar, but we're talking... What would it be? A hundred k's out of Adelaide, as the crow flies, and yeah, um, it, it, probably a difficult it, place to get to. Yeah, look, there, there was a lot of upside there, um, and we sort of saw the upside. Uh, but um, but look, it, it's it was a difficult business to run, so I more or less landed on you know, my sort of lap. Um, and we, we did have some difficulties along the way, but was able to get it to a, a position where it, um, you know, was, was running quite well. But it took a few years to get to that particular point. Um, <laughs> then sold the, the, the business and, um, and also the, the syndicate sold the, uh, the, the freehold as, as well. So, um, it was a, it was an interesting time and would probably be a, a fairly long conversation if we went into all of the challenges along the way, but um, but but anyway, it was something that you, know, you, you get something out of everything you do, and that's the way I look at it. <laughs> so, uh, but it, I wouldn't be looking at buying that sort of business uh, again anytime soon. And the, the the sad sort of end point for that story is that uh, it, it actually ended up burning down with the recent bushfires. So that business is is gone. So it's. Oh dear. Um, a bit of a, a bit of a, a shame and sad end, but um, but yeah, an, an interesting part of my life. An interesting little uh, side hustle about, outside of your normal job. It, it was now, yes. Now, Lee, with respect to your own portfolio, your sort of methodology from the beginning was cash flow, and obviously that tied very well in with your sort of desire to make that career change. Outside of that, I mean, and and maybe even talking to to. To today, or what you might do different if you if you weren't needing to sort of um, you know fund this career change. Is there any particular sort of property style or methodology that you prefer um, as part of your strategy? Um, look, I think I mean my methodology is fairly simple, and that's to you know, look look for properties that have got you know, good good scarcity value. Uh, I mentioned before that look, commercial can be a, a good property type if, if you are looking for you know, more cash flow, but be very careful there. I, I think you know, that there's a lot more to commercial than residential. It's, it's not just a bricks and mortar and location. It's the, you know, the underlying business 
you know, what's the future of that underlying business? You know, could the building suit other purposes, et cetera, et cetera? There's, there's a lot to it, the lease, et cetera. But, um, but I, I think just looking at the residential uh, side of things, it's just really important to look for something that does have good scarcity value. So it's all about supply and demand. So you really want to be buying something where the supply supply is quite low. For example, it could be a you know period home or apartment, such as an Art Deco apartment, or it could just be a single level villa uh, where they're not building a lot of those uh, at at the moment. And also looking where the demand, so areas where the demand uh, is is high, and that'll maximise your you know your overall returns. So so I do think property is fairly simple. Um, but you need to do your research and make sort of sure that uh, you know you're, you're buying the right property in the right area for for the right uh, for the right price. I think the best property investment advice is pretty simple, right? Like it it might not necessarily sell a newspaper because, or you know, we're, we're looking for the the shortcuts to wealth. You know, I bought this and it grew twelve percent in six months and blah blah blah. But I guess for buy and hold investing in property there's a few little simple things to look for and when you talk about scarcity value i think people understand all right well i don't want to buy something next to a big open field because there could be a housing estate and then i'm competing with that but do you think people understand the scarcity value in terms of the the demands of the demographic as well for example you know how many people are wanting a three-bedroom property in this suburb as opposed to a two-bedroom downsizer that sort of thing yeah um the give for growth property investing podcast is presented by our business mcg quantity surveyors if you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Look, the, the good thing is there's so much information out there um, you know, today that, that you can get hold of, but it's knowing which information to grab hold of and being able to interpret that uh, that that information, and I think you know a lot of people just don't have the time to, to to do the research and you know look at you know what's happening as far as demographics are concerned, or infrastructure spending, or anything that might be happening in uh, in in the area. But information's there, and you know if if you're investing you know on on your own, um, I'd suggest that you know you really need to do. Uh, your, your research and be prepared to put in the time and make sure that you know, where you're buying and what you're buying in those areas does suit the uh, the, the demands and the demographics. And if, if you don't have time, then make sure that you, you engage a, a professional to, to, to help you out. But, uh, you know, you can't. It's a simple game, but you can't cut corners either. And I think that's what you know, a lot of people end up doing, that, you know, if you're in the market for an investment property and you've been in the market for you know, three, six, nine months, well, all of a sudden you get quite desperate and you think, well, I just need to buy something, you know, particularly if yeah. the, 
if the market's moving against you and it's you know it's getting higher, you think, geez, I've got to buy now because otherwise it's going to be more even more expensive in, in six months' time. So, yeah, and, and I want my Saturdays back, right. but and you can be pushed into making the wrong decision, right? That's right, and that's that's really where you can make some pretty significant uh, mistakes. So. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to be, you know, diving in to buy property, I mean, certainly, you know, do it. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's best making a uh, making a decision rather than sitting on, on the fence because that's not going to get you anywhere either. But if, if you are going to, uh, you know, really push forward with buying something, make sure that you've, you've done some research and you're understanding what you're buying and don't, don't feel pressured to, to sell and be careful who you take advice from. Yeah, I think that is good good advice, uh, and and certainly I would advocate the engaging of a specialist buyers agent or buyers advocate, as as um, you say in Victoria, um, such as yourself. But if if people are they do have the time and they're analytically minded, pro- you mentioned property being a simple game. What what are some of the the key fundamentals that they need to look at? I mean, should they looking at be looking at sort of the the pop population growth of the area or is it the employments is it the vacancy rate is it the historical growth yeah can you break down some of the the secret sauce yeah well it's really uh, uh, all of the you know all the all of the above uh, i mean look there's a lot of demographic type information you know on your real estate.coms and that now but you know, if you've got access to programs like RP Data, you know that that'll provide you with a lot of information too. But um, but look, there, there's some fairly you know simple ones that I think are you know, fairly uh, fairly important to to, to look at. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the economics does affect um, you know how an area is going to perform. So it's important to look at you know um, the you know, unemployment in a particular suburb or area which you can actually get uh, get access to so if it's higher than what the overall you know sort of melbourne market is um and you're looking at an area and they've got a high level of unemployment then that might be a bit of a bit of a concern because they're going to be subject to uh you know economic shocks more so than other areas where the employment is is fairly fairly stable um even looking at you know information like you know what, what's the average uh, average sort of salary in the area, and has that been moving up over you know, over the years? Um, you know that sort of information can be you know, can be of of, of assistance too. Um, but then, when you talk about secret source, a lot of what we do is just you know, look at the the, the history uh, of a particular area in terms of the price history, even looking at you know within the streets. And even the property itself, particularly if it's an apartment or a villa, and it's a, a group of a number, just looking at what the historic performance of that asset uh, has been, and then overlaying that with um, you know the, the sort of demographics, infrastructure, and what's happening in the area with shops, cafes, etc., and how that's likely to uh, you know, to push the price you know, the price forward. So. Um, so there are a number of elements when I say it's as simple as you know, supply and demand, um, but um, you know a lot of that information uh, you can obtain, but you, you know, you've got to be prepared to to dive in and, and get hold of it. Do the work, yeah. So 
we've we talked about or you mentioned unemployment in the area as opposed to say the general melbourne we understand um that people need a job to be able to to purchase properties in a particular area obviously these the salary going up can have an impact on how people are spending money or gentrifying the the area and and as as sort of gentrification happens obviously that can that can push the values what what about things like the percentage of rental properties versus owner occupiers do you subscribe to any sort of metric that you know ideally you don't want it to be over a certain percentage do you you think there's something in that um look i I think there's something in that i i I don't think it'd be the you know the, the main sort of determinant um i mean we'll typically look if you're buying in a let's say you're buying in an apartment block and Bear in mind, we're buying for home buyers and investors. But if you're buying for a home buyer, and you know the percentage of properties in a particular block or in a particular area is is very high um, from a rental perspective, that's probably not going to be that appealing to the home buyer. But from an investor perspective, if the demand is there, I mean, it's it's more the demand for rentals in a in a particular you know, particular area. Um, so if you've got a, a particular suburb um, or a number of streets or whatever that have got a, a high number of properties for rent, so long as they're being rented and the vacancy rate is, is quite low, um, then you know, that's unlikely to, uh, you know, to influence the decision too greatly. Yeah, and I guess the vacancy rate is, is probably more important than that percentage because if the demand is there, then the vacancy will be low, won't it? Well, that's right. Now, in the beginning, you mentioned the areas that you purchase in Melbourne, uh, and I believe you said sort of around 10Ks from the CBD. Was that right? Yeah, you know, it's typically around 20Ks 20. uh, from yep. the CBD. We, we do a go outside of that area, but that would be our sort of sweet spot. Yep. And it sort of made me think of the question, there's, Obviously, buyer's agent, you see advertising on Facebook and things like that. There's a seems to be a new generation of 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 social media savvy buyer's agents that talk a lot about sort of cherry picking the growth areas around the the country. Um, I, I guess you elect to to specialize in your area. What what's kind of the the idea there? Do you think it's it's it requires a level of, of nuance and, and analysis to, to understand an area that that's more beneficial for the investor rather than sort of darting around Australia trying to get these little hotspots? Yeah. Look, every, everyone's got a – I mean, there's a lot of different people that are operating different models. Uh, as far as our model is is concerned, you know, we, we believe you know, having – the local knowledge and really understanding the areas is what you know, can put our clients in the best possible position, and it goes well beyond you know the areas. It's it's knowing the agents, you know, and knowing how they yeah. sell property and what we can do to put our clients in the best possible position. Having relationships to get access to off market opportunities, um, so there, there are certainly a number of advantages to concentrating on a an, on a specific. Uh, on a specific area and uh, that's what we've chosen to do and you know, we've got you know, great knowledge of what's happening in, uh, in, in the Melbourne market and um, you know, what's happening in terms of you know, infrastructure and all those other things that uh, 
we just mentioned the demographics, etc. So you know, we believe that having that local knowledge puts us in a in a great position to properly advise our clients. And and I, and I think the other thing too is that um, you know there, there's so many different sub markets operating you know, within Melbourne at any given point in time. So there's always going to be opportunities regardless of uh, you know what's happening in the overall market. So. You know, we don't feel a need to um, you know go go beyond our, our patch and feel that we can look after you know, all uh, respective clients, whatever they're trying to achieve within the Melbourne market itself. So beautiful, yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to be an expert on the whole of the country, isn't it? I mean, um, well, it's, it took me starting a business trying to sort of cover it, and then I realised there are places like Broome and Australia's a very big place. Yeah, well, I think, and, and going back to the point I made about you know statistics and information, there, there's a lot of information that that's out there, and uh, you know you can collate that and collate statistics to you know, give a particular view on where perhaps you should be, and and some of that's really great analysis, but I think. Where the rubber really hits the road is really having an understanding on the ground, you know, what's likely to work and what's not likely to work, and then having those, you know, relationships and skills to be able to, you know, one, secure the good quality properties and negotiate the best possible price, and that's a key part of it. Speaking of which, I heard someone say the other day that with property you make your your money on the way in, and I guess they were referring to negotiation. What are your thoughts on, on this, and is that always something that you try and do is to secure something below market, or uh, are quality in-demand assets never really going to be a bargain, but they make up for it in the long-term growth potential? Yeah, look, I, I definitely think you do make your money when you get in, but, but it it relates to asset selection and the price, and uh, both of them are, are, are really important. But first and foremost, it is the asset selection. So, you now often people get too focused on, you know, I've, I've I've got to get a property at a at a discount, right? And yes, it is important to be able to secure a property for lowest price. But if if you've got the wrong asset, just because you've got it cheap. You know, if if it's a dud asset, it's going to be a dud asset. It's not going to you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not going to deliver any any value to you. So so I, I, I do certainly subscribe to you know, making sure that you, you get the right property. Um, I, I never like to think that you're overpaying for a, an asset uh, at all, but you, you have to know where value sits and the reason why value sits in a certain place. And I think you know a lot of people you know, take too much on what a property is quoted for. Um, and we all know agents have got different you know, quoting policies and you know, what mm. they do to generate interest. Um, but, but I think if, you know, if you've done, if you've done your, your research and you know where the value sits, um, then you should be confident if you've got the money to, you know, to purchase the property within that, that value. But if you're an investor as well, you've got to be prepared to walk away um, if it goes well beyond that, uh, that, that value. Um, so you, know, you still have to buy. There's no use buying a, a quality asset for you know, 20% more today because someone's prepared to pay an emotional premium for it, and that could be a home mm. buyer. 
um, you're better off, you know, walking away and uh, you know looking at a, a, another quality asset that you can get, you know, for value for market value or, or less. So, so both of them are are, are important um, aspects, both the asset selection and uh, and the price. These these emotional sort of purchases where people are paying a, a premium. I've I've seen a little bit of back and forth. I think it might have been on the Reba Facebook page, and it's it's dads. Dads are the main offender, right? Dads that are what would that be? They're they're buying for their children, or they're just they're just sort of alpha males competing oh. at auction. <laughs> it's a bit of chest beating. I think a little bit of that uh, a little bit of that goes on, but. Um, but look, I, I, look, buying a home is completely different than buying an investment property. And you know, if you know, there could, there could be a situation where um, you know a property comes up close to the to the family home, and that the parents want to keep the kids close to the family home, and say, right, that's the property they're going to buy. And, and and for them, the property is worth more to them than what it is worth to, to anyone anyone else. But you, you have to recognise that and, you know, you've got to have a price you're prepared to, to, to walk away from because there, there's no use in you paying, you know, someone else's emotional premium and that's what will happen, uh, you know, if, uh, you know if, if there are other options, you know, other options for you. So, you know, you've got to be careful with that. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because let's say you have, you know, an idea in your head that you don't want to pay more than 600000 for example. I know that figure probably doesn't work in the areas you're buying, but um, if you don't want to pay more than six hundred, and then, you know, there's someone that's emotionally invested and it's it's getting up to six thirty, six forty, and you might think, well, I guess that must be the market value. But you, you certainly can have people that aren't making a, a rational decision because to them it is worth more money or because they want to pay to get their Saturdays back because they're yeah. sick of looking at properties and they're prepared to pay another 10 or 20 grand just to wrap it up, right? So you do need to have that ruthless ability to say, no, it's over what I think it's worth and I'll see you later. Yeah, well, I think it depends on you know, every individual's circumstance but if it's a if it's an investment property and someone's paying an emotional premium then you know you, you've got to be prepared to to walk away from it and um mm. we, we certainly do buy we uh, we look after a number of uh, you know first home buyers and first time investors here you know where they are looking around that you know sort of six hundred thousand seven hundred thousand and you know there's um you know, you really have to have good discipline because those first-time buyers, it, it, it's critical critical to get that first one right um, because it'll it'll certainly uh, set you up. And for most home buyers, and particularly first-time buyers, they're generally only in the property for five you know, to seven years, and then their circumstances change. So having good capital growth uh, is important, and of course, from the investors perspective if you're looking at building a, a portfolio getting that first one right will um, uh, yeah, not only put you in a in, in good shape for wealth creation but you know you'll get a lot more support from you know, your banks and financiers if they can see that you know you know what you're doing absolutely however the the data seems to be pointing to the fact that people aren't getting the first one right um, with respect to the average property investor I think about 
72% at last count only have one property. And, and I would sort of argue that that's not necessarily enough to really impact your financial future in, in a way that means that you've got the freedom to choose what you want to do or when you want to rep- re- retire. Do you think that's the case? And, and, and what, what mistakes are people making that make them stop at that one property? Um, look, it, it, it could be. I mean, obviously, if someone's had a bad experience, first off, um, then that's probably going to, uh, you know, cause them to hold back doing anything more because, um, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to go back to the well again if, if you haven't been so successful the, uh, the, the first time around. So, yeah. um, but I think, you know, the mistakes that people typically make and, um, you know, I've gone over this, in um, one of the previous questions uh, around people getting a bit impatient and what have you. But, yeah. but I, I, th- I think, too, that, um, you know, once again with the advice and every, everyone's got a, a view on, uh, on property and, you know, if, if someone has bought something um, and, you know, it, it, even if it hasn't performed that well, you know, quite often people say, oh, well, look, you know, buy in this area, this is what I bought and... And, um, you know, and it doesn't really have a strong sort of foundation um, or there's a lot of that property type or, you know, maybe it doesn't have that scarcity value or, or whatever. So I, th- I think, um, you know, it, it really is important to listen to the people that actually have knowledge and experience and ask the right questions. If someone's telling you at a barbecue they've done really well, ask them, well, what makes you say that? <laughs> has it gone up is it you know the rents that you're receiving you know what what, what is it that makes that a a, a good um a, a good investment so and if you have bought one property in terms of moving to the to the next if your first one's been a good one and you've built up some equity um then you're more likely to you know go go again and um you know that's probably the key is just you know getting it right and if if you've listening to this and you've bought one or two that are not performing that well, you, you've got to be prepared to cut your losses as well. And because um, yeah. if something hasn't performed for the last 10 years uh, or however long you've had the investment for, the likelihood is it's probably not going to perform for the next 10 years. So you'd be better mm. off cutting your losses and buying a quality asset that you can be more confident is going to, uh, is going to perform well. Which is it's painful, right? To make that decision to to admit defeat and to to suffer the sort of the selling cost and the stamp duty of getting in, but you know it's 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 a business at the end of the day, right? So you've got to be a little bit more ruthless with the numbers and ignore the emotional side. Yeah, well, I, I, I think so. I mean, if if in that example with the ten years, if it's gone nowhere in, in ten years. You know, it, it's it's unlikely that the next ten years are going to be any different. So you know, it, it, you're costing yourself even more money if you don't make the decision to cut your losses and put that money to work. Because if it's not working well now, it's unlikely to work well into the future. So, so I, I think the cost is much higher um, by not making that hard decision than holding on to it. And you know, looking back in another ten years' time and saying, well, what, "What did I do? Why did I do that?" Yeah, yeah. 
and getting back to the to the other point if someone's giving you advice on property or how well they've done and you can smell sausages cooking you might be in the wrong place to be listening to to an expert yeah. for for people that um let's say they've they've got one property and uh, I haven't thought too much about this hypothetical, but let's say it's it's okay. It's not super performing, but it's not crippling them. It's just kind of sitting there and 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 perhaps they've built a little bit of, of equity and they've got a bit of savings and they're wanting to sort of move from a from a portfolio of one to, to get into the multiples. What what are some of the, the key considerations for planning to sort of grow that portfolio that's gonna enable them to to continue to buy? Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting question. I mean, if you've got uh, an asset at the moment that's performing okay, um, but not necessarily you know, shooting the lights out, I, I'd be looking at whether there are any levers that you've got to you know, increase the equity of that property. So whether it's a, you know, a, a smart update um, or you know whether it's you know, something that you, know, you, you can you can do with that particular property or if it's within a block of apartments whether you can try and influence the uh, the owner's court to do something with the outside like rendering it if it's an ugly brick or so just looking at are there some levers that uh, I could potentially use to uh, to increase uh, the the value um, but it, it's it's hard to answer that question without knowing the actual you know, asset and, and what have you. But if, if it's going okay, and let's say it's renting okay, etc. hopefully, you know, they have built up a, a little bit of equity whereby, you know, they are able to, uh, you know, to tap into that to, to, to look at um, uh, in, investing in, a, in, in another property. Um, but it, it really depends on how it's performing. I mean, when we're out there looking for properties for, for clients, we want to be confident that whatever we're recommending is in that sort of top 5% of investment-grade properties because it's all about opportunity cost. It's, it's really being able to place your money in the best area that's going to give the highest return. So if the property you do have is performing okay, but it's, it's certainly well off the mark, you know, what's happening with other sort of properties, similar prices and that in the area or other areas, then, you know, um, then maybe you need to look at, you know, whether it's worth you know, holding that one as well. But um, in, in the main, we say to people, hold on to your properties if you can, but only if they're performing assets. Yep. And with respect to clients that you've you've worked with, obviously there would be some people that are nailing it uh, more than others. You you sort of referenced a, a, an A grade or an investment grade property. What 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 are some of the property types or, or characteristics that your clients are buying that is helping them to sort of push their portfolio along? Um, look, it's. Once again, it really depends on the person's budget. I mean, we've got a pretty clear idea in terms of the type of properties that are performing well now and the suburbs that are performing well now and offer the, uh, the, you know, the highest sort of returns and, and we're analysing that all the time. So it doesn't remain stationary. It's a matter of seeing what's happening in various locations and property types, etc. But, um, you know, if, if I was to pick, you know, and... Just thinking about the average sort of you know investor that might be say five hundred to a, a million, let's say, um, you know a, a areas that uh, you know are performing 
pretty well at the moment. We see a lot of upside, of, you know, certainly you know, northern sort of suburbs because of their proximity to the CBD, areas such as reservoir, which has had pretty uh, good returns, but we think there's uh, there's high returns uh, that are available there. Uh, we like where it's possible, and depending on, on budget, to buy something that has a bit of land, and we particularly like the villa-style property, um, single-level sort of villas, um, because there is quite a... Uh, uh, a big market for that, particularly downsizers, and particularly if you're buying in the eastern sort of suburbs as well, where people want to remain the uh, the area they're familiar with, and they're prepared to pay a, a premium for that. But if you look to buy something that needs a, a little bit of work, you can often, you know, often put yourself in a great position because those downsizers typically want the finished product, um, and they'll yes. pay for that. So. So that's just a couple of examples of areas and, and property type, but it, but it really depends on you know the person's budget, and um, you know that's where you know, from our perspective we sit down with our clients and you know, really understand what they're trying to achieve and what sort of money they're looking to apply to this investment, and and then we'd run through the uh, you know the where we're seeing the best opportunities t- today and um, see what they think. Beautiful. And if people are wanting to get in touch with you, Lee, what's the best way to do that? Yep, uh, all of our details are at Buyers Advocates. So it's www.buyersadvocate.com.au um, and you know, all of our details uh, are on uh, on the website there. Beautiful. Now, if there's one piece of advice that you could impart to property investors, finish us off with what that would be. Um, probably wrapping up what I've what I've previously said. That uh, firstly, make, make it make a decision. You're not going to get anywhere <laughs> if you don't make a decision in life. So you've got to be prepared to jump off the fence and uh, you know and, and move forward. But uh, you know, make sure you get you get good advice or you know, listen to the people that have been successful. And I'm sure there would be some you know, people around you that would have been successful. In, uh, in property investing. So talk to them, ask them what they've done. Be prepared to ask them, you know, what uh, they would have done differently or what their mistakes uh, have, met, have been because uh, that'll probably give you a little bit of a radar there whether you know, someone is telling you the truth or not because if someone has bought multiple properties, I'm sure there's things that they perhaps would have done differently, particularly early days. So make sure you get good, uh, good advice and, and go for it. I love it. I think that's a fantastic way to finish. Lee, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Okay, bye.